Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, boys and girls? Welcome back to another episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. Listen, hey, if you're just joining us, you're just tuning in, maybe you're catching wind, what's this new podcast that's out I hear about? Whether you are brand new to speaking, you're just getting going, maybe you've been speaking for a long time, you're a veteran, you're a pro, you're trying to figure out how to scale up your business, how to charge more, how to do things beyond just uh, beyond just being on stage. Listen, wherever you're at in your business, this show is for you. So you're going to hear a combination of me doing some interviews, which is what we're going to be doing today. We're also going to be doing some uh, different trainings teaching about different elements of the speaking business, again, for people at all different levels. And then we're also going to be doing a lot of listener Q&A. So if you've got questions, send them in. You can go over to thespeakerlab.com and submit your questions over there by going to the Ask Grant tab. And uh, we just got a lot of speaking training that we're going to be doing. And so just excited to help you get going in your speaking business. But today we are joined by my good buddy, Mike Pacchione, who has just has a fun name to say. And uh, Mike is not only one of the nicest, but one of the funniest guys that I know. He's a great, great speaker and communicator. Mike actually works with Nancy Duarte's organization. Nancy, if you've watched TED Talks all, you may have be familiar with her. She's got one of the top TED Talks. She has a couple books out. Resonate and Slideology, where she teaches a lot about putting together presentations and uh, putting together slides that go along with presentations. So Mike goes to different companies on her company's behalf, on Duarte's company behalf, and teaches them about putting together presentations. So he has a ton of, ton of experience on crafting presentations, on developing presentations, presentation skills. And so uh, excited to, uh, to share his story and journey with you today. So take some notes. This is going to be a good one. You're going to laugh a little bit and you're just going to enjoy. This is Mike Pacquion. Here you go. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Today I'm joined by my buddy Mike Pacquion. And uh, yes. I tell you what, there's some, uh, dude, I nailed it. I nailed it. First try. You got it. I, I, didn't, I don't you even need it. like a second take on that. Right out the gate, we're coming in strong. We're swinging. And you know, there's some people you talk to and you just like, I just, I don't like being around this person. And then there's other people you talk to and you're just like, if I could just spend more time with this human being, my life would be even brighter. And uh, Mike is one of those people. You're going to leave today after listening to this episode, boys and girls, feeling like, listen, how do I be more like Mike? And there should be a campaign. You live up in Portland, Mike. And so we need to have a campaign of be like Mike. (laughs) If only there was a good jingle for that. If only there was a jingle from a Portland-based company that could do something <laughs> along those lines. So what's up, brother? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Grant. But more importantly, how are you? Stop it. We need to cut out the banter here. we got to get to the good stuff that people okay, come fine. for. <laughs> all right. So tell me, we're all about speaking here, obviously. Yep. So tell us about kind of your, what you do with speaking right now and kind of your role as a speaker. 
Yeah, totally. So pretty much every single week I hop on an airplane. I present for a company called Duarte, which is based in Silicon Valley. Duarte is most famously known for helping Al Gore with An Inconvenient Truth, that movie. But we also help some of the biggest clients in the world, blah, blah, blah. But the point being, generally hopping on an airplane, presenting to people about how to present. And that includes both the story they're telling and also the slides that they're using. Or if it's not slides, whatever other visual they might be using. That's a very meta thing that you guys do. So you're doing, you're teaching them about the presentation, but then are you also helping them craft their own presentations? Yeah. And like, in what kind of settings would they be giving their own presentations? Yeah, totally. So that runs in a bunch of different places, right? So the very basic level would be, I'm a manager of a company and I need to present on Mondays. And usually I just read numbers of people. And that, of course, is not all that compelling. Right. And then that runs all the way from there to people who give keynotes in front of tens of thousands of people. So typically when you're doing this, it's more for companies, not necessarily like individuals? Yeah, well, more often it's for companies, but yeah, we certainly work with individuals as well. Okay, gotcha. But the work you're doing is primarily you're going in and working with a company. for. Is this just like a, like a one-day, one-off thing, or is this more like a, a couple days, or what does that kind of look like? Yeah, it's one or two days, and I should mention that uh, kind of the Mike Pacquiao side project, I help individual speakers as well. So like your buddy Josh, me and him, and a couple other folks worked on his TED Talk this year. Right, right. You just tease that out. Float that out there. I know. I know. Like, oh, you might have heard of Josh before. <laughs> Maybe Grant's talked about him. <laughs> All right. So you help speakers with the presentation style and with the and just even just crafting the material itself. Yeah. So how long have you been working with Duarte? Uh, that's three and a half years now. How did you get started with him? <laughs> um, I'll try to give you the short version of this story. I was presenting in a college class up in Portland. There was a guy in the classroom who walked up to me during a break and said, hey, you're a really engaging presenter. I work at this really big shoe company outside of Portland, and we'd love to have you come in and present sometime. So, okay. <laughs> like, that seemed like something I should do. And then I started trying to prepare for that, and I came up with something that I thought was pretty good. Then I floated by one of my friends, a guy named John Collins. And John, kind of like this poker player type guy, doesn't give you a whole lot of feedback immediately. And he, he kind of like thought for a second. He's like, you know, it's good, but there's a, you know, there's a woman that gave a TED Talk on like this exact same subject. And that woman was Nancy Duarte. So I watched her TED Talk and it's like way better than anything I'm going to give. So what do you do at that point? I ended up just giving my own material, of course. But then I, I wanted to get in touch with this Nancy Duarte woman. Sent off a couple ballsy emails, and uh, one thing led to another. I wound up doing training there. What kind of emails would you say in those? <laughs> well, the in hindsight, the, like this is one of those things. Like in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I really did that. But I think the first line was something like, you know, it's dear Nancy. It's not every day that you email the person who ruined your life. <laughs> <laughs> and my point there was like, this was the first time that I had encountered something. Like, I'd encountered people who were better speakers than me and, like, maybe had a different way of saying things, a better way of saying things. But this was the first time where I felt totally blown out of the water. Right. And, yeah, so it's been an honor and a blessing to work there. Nice. We'll have to uh, link up to her, uh, that initial TED Talk. That Was was that, like, one of the first big dominoes that kind of got things going for them, for the, just the overall company? So it was kind of like the second big domino. Like, Inconvenient Truth would have been the first big one, and that was born out of, like, basically... Yeah, yeah. So 
I don't really remember how we got hooked up to help out with Inconvenient Truth, but then Nancy started getting interviewed, and people started asking her, like, well, who do you think the best presentation firm in the world is? And she got annoyed because she felt like Duarte was, but she needed to start writing books and promote it more. And in writing her second book, she discovered a few formulas that would help people in the way that they structured content. And one of those led to her TED Talk, and then Duarte just kind of blew up as a company from there. Gotcha. So, short answer to your question, kind of blew up twice. Two blow-ups. Okay, so you are a guy that's really known for helping people craft their presentations and taking a concept or an idea and turning it into an actual talk. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. It's a lot where I hear from a lot of people who are going, I have some rough idea of who I want to talk to and what do I want to talk about. So maybe we can just kind of walk through that, just kind yeah. of unpack that. I have an idea. I can explain it in 30 seconds, but how do I create a talk out of that? Uh, you know, a 45, 60-minute keynote or presentation. So let's start with that. So if I just have a really, really rough idea, how do I kind of even narrow it down and figure out if this is a talk worth giving or a talk that anybody is actually even interested in hearing? Yeah, yeah, like whether it's actually good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. So at some point, you have to bounce that off of people, but it doesn't do you good to bounce the 30-second version off of people. So what you need to do at that point is to sit down I like to use just a yellow legal pad for this, but you can do a number of things, post-it notes, you can type, I mean, whatever floats your boat, but I like to just sit down and do, just time myself for 10 minutes and write down any thoughts that come to mind. So these can be specific phrases, these can be different parts of a talk, anything that comes to mind, and then put that down, so 10 minutes is up, put that down, don't do anything with it for a day, two days, come back to it, and once you have a little distance from it, start asking yourself whether it seems interesting to you. Once you have a topic or something that seems interesting to you, then I would start writing it out a little bit more. Like, don't sit there and script the whole thing out, but write it out a little more to the point where you could roll through a skeleton outline with somebody else, someone you trust, someone who would probably be a pretty good audience member for you, and then run through it with them. And what I like to do is give a disclaimer at the beginning, which is something like this. Hey, Grant, I was hoping you could help me out with figuring out whether this talk is good or not. Now, I know that typically in life when people ask you for feedback, like you don't want to hurt my feelings, so you'll just take a look and you'll be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's good. That's Nailed good. <laughs> that's totally good. No, like Grant, I don't want that. So give me real feedback. I want to know if you actually think this is a good idea. And if you have any ideas on how to make it better, I'd love to hear them too. So some sort of disclaimer like that, because otherwise people are just like, oh yeah, it's totally interesting. Gotcha. So in sure. the beginning, it's not necessarily like, I don't necessarily have my 30-second elevator pitch down. It's more like, for example, if I say I want to speak about customer service or I want to talk about sales, like this really big, broad topic where there's yeah, like yeah, yeah. A 94 different directions you could go with it. So rather than like just trying to immediately get wedged down into this 30-second version, just going, okay, I got 10 minutes. I'm just going to spit out anything related to this subject or topic, phrases, stories, ideas, and then we'll... I'm not in the editing phase as much as I'm just trying to like brainstorm and just puke ideas on paper and then we'll try to make some sense of it later. Is that basically totally, it? Totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the great things that will happen there a lot is you will recall a story or an anecdote or maybe just a phrase that will help you to take your topic in a direction that's a little more interesting than just saying like, I want to talk about customer service. Gotcha. And so that's so if you were starting from scratch with any type of presentation, any type of talk, this would be kind of your process of spending the first, you know, ten minutes or so just brainstorming that broad topic. And to think and I assume just thinking as as broad as possible on it. Yeah. 
assuming that you know stuff about your topic already, yeah, that's where I would start. It's just brainstorming, writing down anything you can think of. Yeah. Okay. So after that, I've got hopefully a page or a couple pages of just random gibberish and ideas. Then maybe I'm trying to whittle that down, running it by some people. Where do I go from there and continue to just flesh out the talk? Yeah. Are you talking about like the, the structure of it? Yeah. Yeah. Just the what I want to talk about, what I want to cover. I, have an, okay, I know I want to talk about customer service. We're on that track. And I've got some points here and there that I think are going to work. But how do I know like what order to put them in, yeah, yeah, yeah. what stories to include or not include? Let's start with structure, I guess, outline first. I, was that what you would do next? Is just kind of outline and get kind of a really rough idea of what the skeleton would be? Yeah, like this is where I actually use... It's almost like I'm brainstorming in Excel, believe it or not. Like, so what I like to do, if you can picture like three different columns, I would have like the point I want to make in regular person language. Okay, so like, and as an example, a presentation that I just gave was talking about working remotely and best practices for doing it. And one of the points that I wanted to make is that it's easy to get forgotten when you're working remotely. But like, that's boring. Like, I mean, it's true. It's helpful, but it's not exciting to hear it that way. Mm-hmm. But I know that I want to make that point. So I just jot that down because I know I want to make that point. And then later, I'm going to have a column that's like, I've never really labeled the column, but it's almost like how to make that point sexy, like how to make that point stick, how to make it pop, how to make it interesting. So I'd like to brainstorm like the key point and then have another column that is like how to make it more interesting. And I might not come up with that right away, by the way. Yeah. But I would brainstorm all of them. I would decide whether I feel like my topic is going to be a lot for my audience to digest or not. If it's a lot to digest, I want to talk about fewer things. Okay. How do you if, know what that right amount is, though? Like, is it better to have seven points or one point? And yeah, totally. So how do you know what stays on and what gets cut? Yeah, I mean, the very best thing you could do would be to actually rehearse it with other people, right? But that's not available to every person. So a good way to take that back a notch would be to sit down with somebody who would be in your ideal audience and say, okay, is this going to be too much to go through? That said, I'm still giving you kind of a vague answer there. Like I err on the side of three points, five points, seven points, like odd numbers people seem to like. If you're going through them pretty quickly, you can probably do more, but it's just like when you're doing that, you have to make sure that those points aren't super complicated. So if you're doing something that's like a best practices for customer service, you can probably go through this pretty quickly because my guess is that those aren't going to be things that are going to take like some crazy degree in advanced math for people to digest. Right. If you're going through something that's more unpacking a theory or something of that nature fewer points are probably going to be better because it takes like each point will be harder for your audience to digest. Okay. How much would you be tweaking and adjusting based on the environment or the audience you would be speaking to? Meaning if you're giving a one hour keynote to a thousand people, how would you go about crafting a talk differently than if you're giving a one hour workshop for 25 people? Yeah. Wait, so it was a thousand people or 25 people? Sure. Yeah, so I would say 90% of your talk stays the same regardless. Yeah. The other 10% is malleable. So obvious examples of when you would switch that would be if you're going to another country, if you're going to another industry, if you're going to a part of the country that might not like the examples you use. Like those would be obvious things to change around. Yeah. 
in terms of the number of people in the room, like one of the great, so thousand people, your content will still change. Or sorry, a thousand people versus 25 people, your content will still change with them. You also have to consider there changing just like the way that you deliver it. With a thousand people in the room, you have to be aware that the people are less likely to do things like volunteer answers. So if you have a part of the talk where you're like, hey, can someone give me an example of blah, 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 be aware that you might just have to answer that yourself. Right. With 25 people in the room, there are some great things you can do. I mean, with 25 people in the room, one of the ways that you can customize and tweak to them is you can have them be part of the presentation. And that's going to be a heck of a lot easier to do with 25 people versus 1,000. So again, I would say 90% of the talk will stay the same regardless. 10% might change with things like how you involve the audience, the examples you use, even like the way you talk. When I go down, so I went to school in Richmond, Virginia. I live in Portland, Oregon. Nobody in Portland says y'all. But whenever I go down south, I like to break out that y'all. Or if I'm feeling advanced, maybe even all y'all. Because that's now. how they talk there. You know? <laughs> so little things like that. And, you know, I went to Germany a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that I screwed up is the way that people in Germany say the letter A is more of a soft A. And I'm from the East Coast originally. And I've never dropped the, like, the strong A. So there was this guy there whose name was... Fabian, that's how I would say it. But everybody in Germany, Germany says Fabian. Yeah. And finally, after two days of presenting to these people, I realized that I should have just been practicing the way I said the letter A, <laughs> just as a means of blending in more. Right, right. So it's not like anybody was sitting there like, oh, I'm not listening to anything you said. Like, did you hear the way <laughs> he enunciated? Like, no, but those are just little things that you can do that will make you more likable to your audience. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay, I've got a, a rough structure. And again, I guess to go back one of the other points that you'd mentioned there, I think, and you tell me what you think, but I've found that all of this is basically like ideas and theories until you actually get on stage. Totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think this is going to have this kind of reaction or this is going to, going to kind of reverse or laughter or where, but the reality is, is that just, just don't go until you get in front of a live audience. And yep. you know, the, the, I think one of the best examples I've always seen is comedians. You know, a lot of times when you watch a comedian and they're giving like their one hour special on Comedy Central or a DVD or Netflix or whatever, like the whole thing is very, very polished and dialed in. You don't see the, you know, the hours and hours and hours and the times that they've spent in these yep. small little rooms or small little clubs trying stuff. And you're like, ah, oh, that just, that didn't work. So it's the same thing is true with a speaker. All of these are just educated guesses, but you don't know until you actually get on stage and actually present it. Yeah, totally. And one of the things I actually recommend to people is the Jerry Seinfeld made a documentary. So I think the same way stand up comedy is just one of the best places you can explore for tips on how to do things. Jerry Seinfeld made a documentary called Comedian, and you get to watch him bomb and you get to watch him trying to refine his material. Yep. I was thinking about that, and I will link up to that DVD because I've got it. I'm looking at it on my bookcase right now. It is amazing because they, in fact, he was doing this like right after like Seinfeld wrapped, and it was the height of his popularity. And you see Jerry Seinfeld, this big wig at the top of his game, just bombing, forgetting punchlines, pulling out index cards and post-it notes. Like, what am I talking about? And it's just great to see, like, yeah, he's extremely funny and an extremely good presenter. But he still is just ideas. I'm just going to try this, and this may work, and this, you know, this may not. But I don't know unless I actually try it. Yep, totally. 
Interesting. All right, so I've got kind of a rough skeleton. I've got kind of my main overarching idea of what I want to be talking about. I've got three, maybe five, maybe seven points, depending on how long I've got there. How do we start to kind of flesh it out? What stories, what application, what other material do I need? Because it's, it's one thing to feel like, okay, I've got a really solid outline, and I, I think this would work as a 10 or 15 minute TED Talk, but now all of a sudden I've got to speak for 45 or 60 minutes. How do I begin to flesh that out and fill that with content? Yeah, totally. So one thing that I maybe should have mentioned in the earlier stage, hopefully you have one general idea that's tying everything together. So if you do have one general idea that's tying everything together, then the length of the talk, I, I'm not saying it'll be easy to just magically go from 15 minutes to an hour, but the length of the talk won't totally blow everything up in the bad version of that phrase. It won't blow everything up because you know what the talk is about at its core. Yeah. So and once you've got that one point or three points or five points or however many, now there are a couple of things you want to do in the editing process. So this is where Duarte, and this is where Nancy, our CEO, this is where like her TED Talk just blew my mind. So there's the structure that is prevalent in all the best communicators. Like she studied the top, I think, I think it's the top 300 presenters of all time or presentations of all time. And they had this structure that they followed, which is they always contrasted what is, so the world that exists right now, with what could be. And what could be is the world that would exist if your audience were to adopt that single unifying idea. Once you've got kind of like your content brainstormed, you want to go back and insert some little bits of contrast. So those are things like inserting like not just the solution, but reminding the audience what the problem is. Or not just telling people how to do things, but telling them how they're doing it wrong right now. And you might phrase it better than that. Inserting Here's where things. you're screwing up. Here's, where, yeah. here's how you can you make You want to know how you're screwing up? Right. <laughs> and other things like what they might be thinking is true versus what's actually true. What you as a speaker are not saying versus what you actually are saying. Things like that. So you want to start inserting that type of material. And then once you feel like you've got a pretty nice contrast... That's where I like to go in with stories and say, okay, what stories will help to prove my point here? And I think, Grant, you and I have talked about this before, like just having a Rolodex of stories in your back pocket that you can use in presenting. Like, it's much better to have those stories written out ahead of time and just being able to scroll through and say, well, could I use this? Could I use this? Could I use this? Versus sitting there and saying like, okay, well, what story do I have? that will prove how important customer service is, right? Like it's a lot harder to go in that direction. Right, and I think to speak to that point, I think when you have kind of that Rolodex of story ideas, and again, when you get started, when you're just getting going, you mainly have like, you know, three or five stories that you've gotten. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to use these. And as you go, you'll find new stories. You'll, it'll be on your radar. You'll be paying attention. You'll make little yeah. notes of stories that happen just in everyday life. And even when you make notes of those stories, and even when you're just brainstorming story ideas in the beginning, you may have no clue of how you're going to use those. That's totally. fine. But there's, I think for both of us, Mike, I think we both have probably a variety of kind of just benchmark stories that we can tell. And you can take them a lot of different directions. I can tell it to this audience and make this point out of it. But I can tell the exact same story, but make a totally different point to yeah, a different exactly. audience out of it. And so don't feel like, well, you know, this story, it only works for customer service. And I talk about leadership, you know, that's not true. Like you can take most stories and adapt them in a variety of different ways. Yep. Totally agree. Do you have any special tips or tactics on just developing stories and knowing how to craft a story? And, and I remember this one time this happened to me as a kid, 
how, and I have an idea of how that ties in, but how do I actually make the story interesting, compelling, funny, good? you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, totally. So the thing that you need to do there is leverage tension. And what most people will do with this story is they will give the punchline away. When I say punchline, that's not a joke necessarily, but they'll give the point away way too early. So what you want to do there is you want to, like, if the strongest part of the story is not the ending, then you need to end the story earlier. Or you need to like do a Tarantino thing where you rearrange the order of the story so that you're ending with the strongest point. And then after you've ended the story, then you want to give, most likely, you want to give the audience like a one sentence, here's why I just told you that story. right? So it's, right. that's going to sound something like, so the point of the story is blank. Right. right. So the point of the story is you need to keep training in order to get better, you know, or whatever the point is of that story. Right. And that like that one line can be super, super simple, but it, it is important to have that line. So people, you don't want to, whatever stories you're telling should be advancing the talk. And you, yeah. you don't want an audience to feel like, well, that was a cute story, but what, yeah, but why? Like, what was the point <laughs> of that? Like, I have no idea how that ties in. So you want to be able to connect the dots. And, and an audience is already kind of wondering that, that you're, uh, I remember hearing, and I'm going to butcher it, but I remember hearing someone one time say, you're trying to basically insert yourself into the conversation they're already having in their mind. Yes. So you're, they're trying to connect the dots. You're just coming right in and saying, hey, here's why this story is you know, so relevant to what we're talking about. Yep. Totally. Do you have yep. any, give any tips on use of humor? Because I think this is, you know, you're someone that's, I think you and I, we like using humor. We like to think of ourselves as funny, witty guys, but if for people that are just like, I don't feel like I'm that funny and I don't know what's funny or not funny, do you have any tips or ideas on that about just using humor in presentations? Yeah, absolutely. So if you can use humor, that is a gold mine. And that's true even in a serious presentation scenario. Yeah. What, what humor does is it releases the tension in the room, especially if you can do something at the beginning that is funny. That allows your audience to, I mean, it just makes you a more likable presenter. So that's great if you are a funny person. Yeah. If you are not a funny person, I would like you to consider one of two things. <laughs> like either not trying to be funny or what I think is probably the better option is find some other way to be funny that does not involve you telling a joke. So that can be a funny video, that can be bringing someone on stage and putting them in a situation where not that they're going to like screw up, but it, where something funny can happen. Right. Things like that work. You can also use slides to be funny. I was worried you're going to be like, call someone up and belittle them in front of the audience. (laughs) Make fun of their socks. And then have them sit down and try to win the audience back. But some things, I mean, even for me, and I I do think I'm pretty funny as a presenter, like not a stand-up comedian, but I think I'm corporate level funny. Even for someone like me, like there are times where the audience, they're not aware that it's okay for them to laugh, right? And that happens sometimes. So... Something that's helped me there is to pull the Jimmy Fallon and laugh at my own jokes. And that gives, especially at the beginning of the talk, that gives the audience permission to lighten up. I think that's really, yeah, that's really true. Because if you go see a stand-up comic, you are going in with the expectation this is going to be funny. But whenever you're going to hear a speaker or presenter, oftentimes, like, they may be funny. This may be totally boring. This may be extremely serious. This may be very sobering or sad. And you really don't know what you're getting into. So, yeah. so especially when you're like with what you're saying, that first joke, if you can kind of, whether you're kind of laughing at yourself, doing something to kind of set the table that this is going to be lighthearted. 
like one of the things I use is the whoever's doing my introduction, the last line is a joke. And so it oh, kind of gets them laughing as I'm walking up. So it's not like, again, this very somber, serious, here we have a speaker and they're going to share their life stories about seven decisions that will ruin your life. It's, it's, it's more that they, they, by them inserting the joke, then it immediately sets the tone that, okay, this might, you know, I think this could be funny. But that's, I think oh, that's I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely love that. You kind of touched on slides. Let's talk about slides because Duarte is known for the visual element, the aspect of having a visual piece of, a, of, of your presentation. And slides can be both like wonderful and a huge, huge nightmare. I personally have never really used slides because of all the things that could go wrong. But at the same time, I know that they can be such a visual enhancement to a presentation. Yep. Yeah. So they can make a point that you just cannot. We can describe all the things that we're talking about through voice, but if you can show the picture of something, it just makes the point that much stronger. So what are some thoughts on pros and cons of using slides? And if you're going to use slides, how to develop them, craft them, put them together so you're not just reading off of a screen and it's not 97 bullet points at, right, right, right. at eight font. What are some <laughs> thoughts there on, on slides? Yeah, I think the obvious thing that people screw up with slides is that they put too much text on there. And then usually people will put too much text on there, too many bullet points, and then they'll follow it up by talking immediately as they put that slide up on the screen as if people can read 324 words in like a third of a second, right? So that's an obvious thing. But I actually think the biggest mistake that people make with slides is they devote all of their time to making the slides and none of their time to rehearsal. Yeah. or none of their time to figuring out this story. I think if you surveyed people, and I'm thinking more corporate world, so this might not be true for things like keynotes, but for, certainly in the corporate world, people spend 90% of their time on slides. And that's crazy. Like, the speaker is what people are there for. The speaker is the person who's explaining things. So uh, my advice to you is make sure that you've got your story pretty well locked down, get, have your speech pretty well locked down before you fire up PowerPoints at all. Right. If you're going to fire a PowerPoint, and I think it can be used really, really well, if you're going to fire up PowerPoint or Keynote or Google Slides, whatever you want to use, I would at the very least start with pictures, so actual visuals that help tell your story. Now, I'm not talking about cheesy cliches of like stock a photos. padlock. What's that? Wait, which one? You don't want stock photos. Yeah, stock photos. Right. Totally. Don't do those. But if you've got a picture, I mean, a classic example would be a story you're telling and it took place at a certain stage of your life and you have a picture of yourself at that stage. Yeah. And especially those things can be kind of funny depending on what stage of your life it was. If it was awkward teenage years, you can usually make fun of yourself for a second and that works pretty well. So, but anyway, on a base level, like visuals of pictures are really helpful. With that said, the mistake that people usually make with pictures is they then leave that picture up for like 12 minutes. And what you don't realize as the presenter is that that actually distracts the audience. Again, not in a way where they can't possibly pay attention to you, but you're much better off having that photo imagery up on the screen for the minute it takes you to tell that story and then going straight to a black slide or, or something else. Right, right. That would be much stronger. So I think images work really well. I'm lukewarm on diagrams. Diagrams can work very well. I like the strategy of if you've got a tagline or kind of a key phrase that you say, 
putting that up on the screen at the same exact moment that you were saying it and then repeating that. And that's especially helpful at conferences because that basically is indicating to the audience, hey, you should tweet this. Right. So right. assuming that, that tagline is good, that's a good thing to do. Right. And sometimes you don't necessarily know what that tagline would be, again, until you've done it a few times and you kind of figure out, I think this is the line or the points that are going to resonate with the audience. But yeah. the more you do that presentation, the more you feel like, man, the, when I go back and I check Twitter later, like this is the one line that everyone yeah. keeps tweeting or talking about or mentioning, yeah. and kind of figuring that out of what's resonating with an audience. And that's interesting. Like even with Obama, the famous, yes, we can talk, right? If you ever watched the first time he delivered that, which I remember because it was my 30th birthday, so January 8th, that's my birthday, January 8th, 2008, he was talking in, I think, New Hampshire. And if you watch that talk, so he's doing the Yes We Can thing, it's the first time he's done it, and the audience behind him is holding up signs with his slogan. His slogan was not Yes We Can. His slogan was Change We Can Believe In. So even like the guy who's president and at least at one stage of his career, was known for being a really strong orator. Even he did not totally know that until he got that audience response. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. The president himself. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like a guy with speechwriters. Interesting, yeah. And I think one point that you said just about slides in general that I think is a really good point is that focus on the talk first. And I yeah. think the one thing I always firmly believe and say is that the talk should be an enhancement. It shouldn't, or the slide should be an enhancement of your talk. They shouldn't be a replacement. They shouldn't be a crutch. You know, so yes. if you can't give your talk without the slides, you're not ready. Yeah, you're and not you ready. Really got to dial it in and know that if five minutes before you're supposed to speak, your slides go down and it just doesn't work and there's a glitch, the talk should still stand on its own. And yep. if you have the slides, Great. It just makes it even better, but that should still work without the slides. So I think we're definitely on the same page there. And another and you one thing, oh, oh, sorry. I was just going to say one thing that is with that, some people actually, they don't realize this, but they're actually using their slides as a teleprompter to tell them what to say next. Yeah. And one thing I would tell your audience to consider is to have slides, but don't project them. So in other words, you have your laptop up there on stage with you on the ground and you can advance what slides are there just to tell you what to say next, but you're not actually projecting them for everyone else to see. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that would work. And another thing you kind of touched on there was using slides for humor. Yeah. Uh, like just, uh, you don't, if you're someone that's like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable writing a joke or delivering a joke or feel like it's funny or it's just going to fall flat or what if it bombs or nobody laughs, just showing a funny picture works yeah. really, yeah. really well. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say it. You're pushing a button. The slide pops up. It gets a good reaction. I remember a year or so ago, I was at a conference and saw a speaker who the talk itself was fine. He, you know, he had a couple little one-liners throughout it. But a key point of his talk is he showed like a two or three minute video that was hysterical. It was PG-13 at best, but a very funny video. So I did a workshop later in the day talking about speaking. And I was, I was asking the people in my workshop, I said, how many of you felt like the speaker was funny? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, it was hilarious. And I said, okay, what was the funniest part? And they were all like, well, it was the video. I was like, connect the dots here. He wasn't necessarily funny. He showed a video that was funny, but it connects it in the, in the audience's mind that, oh, yeah, they were really, really funny. It was really they just showed a video, you know, which, again, the point is that that works, whether it's a video or a funny image. So just using slides for humor can work really, really well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And a guy who did that, just an example people can look at, Frank Warren. So the guy behind 
Post Secret. Do you know that Post Secret? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, so his TED Talk, this is interesting. I don't know that he says anything that's funny, but I remember one part of it that's funny because he's showing different, the whole idea of his company is people send postcards to this address and they have secrets on them. And so he's showing different postcards and there's one where there's someone who works at Starbucks where, what did she do? Where she's like, when people are rude to me, I give them caffeine in their decaf or it says something like that. And he just put the slide on the screen, didn't say a word, let the audience read it, and the audience laughed. And I think of that speech as being funny. And now that we're deconstructing it, I don't know if there was anything else in it that was funny. Yeah, it's interesting. There was, and it's just, it can be little things. I remember I heard a um, a bigwig podcaster speak, and he was talking about you know how he's grown his podcast. And one of the first slides he showed was like one of the nastiest, worst reviews that he ever got within iTunes. And it's him oh, just talking awesome. about it, you know? And it's just him laughing and all of us laughing at this. And again, all he's doing is, here's a review. Let's throw it on the screen. Let's all read it together. Let's laugh about it. And, you know, move on. Like, just little things like that can work really, really well. All right, let's wrap up with this. Let's talk about some worst cases. It can't be worse than this. What's the time that you've had that you or someone, uh, we've both been around for a while, so we share horror stories and war stories. So if you're good one, good one. It can't be worse than this. What do you got? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I feel like the worst things that have happened to me are mostly the slides don't work, and I'm usually pretty prepared for that, and I've got some stories that help me there. But there was one that, uh, when you were saying that, I just thought of... So there's a speaker named uh, Scott Birkin, and on his blog, he's got a whole series on this, and there was one... I can't remember if it's Scott's or someone who was commenting on it, but it's so funny. This guy was presenting in Russia, and... Oh, no, 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 I thought of an even better one. The speaker's voice went out the night before. Oh, my gosh. Lost their voice. Like laryngitis, and it was a situation like they couldn't reschedule. So what the heck is he going to do? This is where he actually used slides to his advantage. And, like, even miking him up, he was so hoarse they couldn't hear him. And so what he did was he basically wrote the whole speech on, like, hundreds of slides, like one sentence at a time, and just would advance them with little jokes written in between about like, I'm so sorry that you can't hear me. <laughs> or like, I, I promise I wasn't out really well. Yeah, totally. And that was the whole talk. So if you didn't lose your voice the night before when you're hired to give a presentation, I think you're going to be all right. That's awesome. You, gotta, you can't tease us with the Russian one and not tell us what will happen. The Russian one, yeah, yeah. So there was a guy presenting in Russia and he's hired to present there. And in the middle of his talk, the Russian police come in, like come into the audience, arrest somebody, and then just walk out. And he's supposed to just continue, <laughs> which he did. Right. That's one of those like, how do you get the audience back from this? <laughs> right, right. You gotta be, you gotta think quick on the fly. There, like, do I make a joke? Are they gonna arrest me? Are we all in danger right now? Crush like, us? You don't know how it'll go over. You're like, well. Oh, I hope I'm not next. That, right. uh, that reminded me yeah. of, um, uh, I had a, this didn't happen to me, but a, a speaker friend of mine who, he was uh, staying at a hotel, and there was some like manhunt going on in the area, and the what? guy that they were looking for apparently looked like my buddy, oh, and no. so he checks into the hotel, goes to his room, and like he's in the room, and the front desk clerk or whoever thought that he looked like the guy. Oh, my so gosh. he calls the police, and my buddy's in his room, he... he Gets a phone call in his hotel room, answers it, and it's basically like, 
this is the police, come out with your hands up. And he just assumes, like, I'm being pranked right now. This is silly. So he just hangs up the phone. They call back immediately. This is police, come out of the room. They do this, like, two or three times. He keeps hanging up. Finally, he answers, and they say, uh, look at your people. We're right outside the door. Come out with your hands up. Goes to people, like, full SWAT team, SWAT gear, everything. He opens the door on, like, both ends of the hallway. SWAT, guns pointed at him, dogs, like, the works. And he is freaking out, naturally. So they arrest him, figure out, you know, it's, it's, it's not the guy, but just one of those things like, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh, like, I can't even imagine. But something like that, that's also, this is a good analogy of going back to what we talked about earlier. That makes a great story. You know? Totally. How would you use that? I don't know, but it's going to make a great story. You could figure oh, out I an think, analogy or connection somehow there. Yeah, I think what you would do, well, certainly like the next day or whenever he was speaking, you could get that mugshot of the guy, put that on a slide, put that up there and say, like, do you think this looks like me? And then like slowly walk over to the slide, stand there for a second, let people look at you and just be like, because your local police did, here was the scene in my room. Like, right. spe- I mean, there's no way he would have taken a picture, I guess, but... Yeah, like that sort of thing is really helpful. And and that could, he could probably use that in a lot of speeches as something like, I mean, you never know what might happen to you. Always be prepared. I don't know, things like that. There, there would be a way to use that story for sure. Using moments like that that are like this shared experience with the audience, like you said, that are in that, like in the room in Russia or at the event he's speaking at there or that just, they know it's not, they know it's not part of the, the script and they know this isn't, this wasn't yeah. supposed to happen. And that just makes the audience feel more included, like, oh, this is just for us, you know? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> remind, I'll give you one more. It reminded me of several years ago, I was speaking in D.C., and it was when, like, during the, the G20 or G10 or some summit was going on, and all these, like, international world leaders are there. And so I was speaking <laughs> at the D.C. Hilton, and the president of China was also staying there. And so it is, there's, like, two or 3,000 people there for this conference that I'm speaking at, and there is Secret Service and Chinese media everywhere it is really really and they had like three floors blocked off lots of elevators that are blocked off because the president of china is coming and going in the hotel where this conference is being held so i opened my talk by giving a quick bullet point list and it wasn't on slides i just i wrote it in the right, room right, and read yeah. it of like 10 things you should not do when sharing a hotel with the president of china and it was hilarious <laughs> but it only works there because yeah. they're all aware of yeah. it like that, that you can't go back later and be like Okay, so guys, let me tell you the context, and now let me tell you the list. Like, it's not, it's not funny, you know? Uh, so just that shared experience works really well uh, for stories. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think something else that's good with stories, sorry, I know we could we do this do all this day. But, but one other thing I would say is uh, if you have a story that's really good and there's like a moment of tension where you know you have the audience, is you actually press pause and you say, what do you think I did now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People, because that—that's it right there. That's shared experience. Everybody's in this together. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, dude. Hey, if we want to find out more about you, where can we go? Yeah, totally. So I work for Duarte. That is Duarte.com, and I am on Twitter. I am Impact. So at little at symbol M as in Michael, P as in Peter, A C as in Charlie, C as in Charlie. You get to spell Duarte for us because it's not—it's not like it sounds. Oh darn. D U A R T E and Grant. I'll send you a couple of Duarte-related links that might be helpful for people listening to this, too. Awesome. We'll be sure and link up to those in the, uh, in the show notes. So thank you, my friend, for hanging out with us, dude. You're awesome. Hey, thanks a lot, Grant. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with my buddy Mike Pacchione from Duarte. Just a good dude. Just I really, really like Mike, and he does a great, great job of just outlining and, and walking through how you develop a presentation, put together a talk. He's just a smart, smart guy. I like Mike a lot. So, yeah, I think that wraps up today's episode. Hey, just a quick reminder. We are coming down to the finale here for the podcast contest that we've been running. That's going to be ending on January the 31st, so you're not going to want to miss out on that. So make sure... Make Make sure, make sure if you haven't already that you go register. Again, you can register by doing a couple of simple things. We're asking you to leave us a rating and review within iTunes for the show. Always important as you're getting a new show started. Asking you to uh, subscribe to the show. You probably already did. I hope you did. And then definitely download the uh, the episodes that are available. So you can uh, do all of that. Find all of that, uh, all the details about about that. About about that? Did I say that? Ah, oh, man. That's fine. That's fine. The show must go on. You can find all the details out about that over at podcastcontest.com. That's the website, podcastcontest.com. All right. Hey, on Thursday, got another great guest. We're going to be talking to a, uh, a Canadian speaker, a good friend of mine that I think you're really going to enjoy. So be on the lookout for that. So we will catch you uh, on episode 10 coming up in a couple days. We'll see you then, my friends. You're awesome.